Of course you're all going to audition for the play, Violet LaRue said. It's the kickoff to our community theater season. Lindsay Norris put down her scissors and glanced across the table at Violet. Violet's warm brown eyes sparkled and her brown skin glowed. She was flushed with excitement for the upcoming production, which would be her directorial debut. Lindsay knew it was going to dampen Violet's enthusiasm to learn that the rest of the Crafternooners, with the exception of her daughter, Charlene LaRue, and the children's librarian, Beth Stanley, were not as enamored with being on stage as she was. Violet was a former Broadway actress, and her daughter was a local news anchor. They lived for being in front of an audience. As for Beth, she had been instilling the love of reading in children for ten years with her dynamic story times. She lit up in front of an audience. The rest of the Crafternooners, well, it wasn't really their thing. This theory was confirmed when Lindsay glanced around the table and noted that both Mary Murphy and Nancy Payton had their heads down, completely engrossed with their card-making project. The group had decided to get a jump on the holidays by making greeting cards. It was only September, but judging by the mess Lindsay was making, she was going to need the next three months just to crank out a few decent cards. The Crafternooners met every Thursday at the Briar Creek Public Library, of which Lindsay was the director, to work on a craft while they discussed the latest book that they had read. This week they were discussing A Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare. It wasn't their standard fare, but since Violet was directing the play in the Briar Creek Community Theater, they had all agreed to read it and give her their input as she was gearing up for auditions in the coming week. I think I have a crush on Puck. He's so charming. He carries the whole play, Beth Stanley said. Storytime had just gotten out, and she entered the room with a monkey puppet on one hand and wearing a banana suit. It was no surprise that she liked Puck. With her diminutive stature and her black hair styled in a pixie cut, Beth reminded Lindsay of a sprite herself. Who in town would make a good Puck? Nancy Payton asked. Her blue eyes twinkled when her gaze met Lindsay's. I'd offer up my nephew, Charlie, but he's too busy with the latest incarnation of his rock band. Lindsay winced. Nancy wasn't kidding. Lindsay rented the third-floor apartment of Nancy's three-story captain's house, and her nephew, Charlie, lived on the floor between them. Usually, he only practiced once a week, but with the new band learning his material, practices had been more frequent and both Lindsay and Nancy had taken to wearing earplugs while at home. The only one who didn't seem to mind the noise was Lindsay's dog, Heathcliff. As soon as he heard the bass beat of the drums, he began to wag and howl as if he were the lead singer. How about my brother Sully? Mary Murphy asked. She'd brought the food for today's crafternoon from her restaurant, The Blue Anchor, so it was a feast of crab salad sandwiches and sweet tea. Lindsay turned and scowled at her. She knew Mary had been just looking for an opportunity to bring up Sully in the conversation. Lindsay had been dating Captain Mike Sullivan, known to his friends and family as Sully, up until a few months ago when he decided to give her some space, 
space she had not requested, and so they had spent the summer apart. Did you know the earliest reference to a Midsummer Night's Dream is from 1598? She asked. No one knows exactly when it was written. Nice segue. Not, Charlene LaRue said. Are you telling us you don't even want a picture, Sully and Tights? As soon as she said it, Lindsay's brain flashed on a mental picture of Sully in tights and tunic, with a wreath of flowers on his mahogany curls. It did not help that the man had a sailor's muscular build, and that tights on him would not be a hardship on the eyes. I am so not answering that question, she said, at which the others all laughed. When they quieted down, she couldn't help but ask, how is he anyway? Pitiful, Mary said. He worked like a dog all summer, almost as if he was trying to keep his mind off something or someone. Humph, Lindsay snorted. Well, he wouldn't have had to if he hadn't dumped me just because he wrongly thought I still had feelings for my ex. Lindsay, I know I shouldn't butt in, Mary said. Her blue eyes, so like her brother Sully's, were full of anxiety. But if you knew the things in Sully's past that make him... No, Lindsay interrupted. Don't tell me. If there is something Sully needs to share with me, he has to do it himself. The Crafternooners all made noises of agreement. But Mary looked as if she desperately wanted to say more. Lindsay shook her head. Don't worry, she said. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. Fine? My experience with the fairer sex has proven that when a woman says she's fine, she is anything but. A male voice with a charming British accent said from the door. The crafternooners all turned as one. Standing in the doorway was a man with reddish-blonde hair, twinkling green eyes a square jaw, and a build that could easily carry off a pair of tights or anything else he wanted to dress it in. Robbie! Violet leapt up from her seat and crossed the room to enfold the man in a warm embrace. Violet, my love, he said, you're more beautiful than ever. Charlene followed her mother and hugged the man, too. Obviously, he was a friend of the LaRue family, Beth, who was sitting beside Lindsay, nudged her arm repeatedly until Lindsay turned toward her. Do you know who that is? She hissed. No, no idea. It's Robbie Vine, Nancy whispered from across the table, the famous British actor. Oh, my, Mary breathed. <laughs>